be up here now that there's like more lights and it's all angular. It just it just feels good. It feels good today to be in church. We've uh, we started church a little earlier than you guys. Um, we were. I mean, I was no, I was not jumping rope in the attic. I was playing in the drum box with a lot of layers, and it just felt good. It just feels good today. Um, if you don't mind, let's stand and let's pray that God would just have his way in this whole service today, not just first service here or adult Sunday school or whatever you want to call it, but for the whole rest of this, especially um, the baptism portion of that. I'm so excited to see some people make a decision publicly to follow him. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you today would just be present, that you would just show up and that you would make yourself known to us so that we could see you for who you are and that that would change who we are. God, we ask that you would just move in this house today, that your spirit would be felt and that the words here, mine and Tim's and the, and the worship teams, that they would be your words and that they would change our hearts. God, we ask that you would turn us closer to you through the explanation of your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I love saying that because it's like old school church. Everybody said, and everybody knows what to do. Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Um, I'm going to be um, basically going through the entire gospel of Luke today, so we should be able to get it done in, you know, like 37 to 45 minutes. Um, we're going to start in chapter 7. So we might go till 2 o'clock this afternoon, but it'll be okay. We'll be okay. Everybody say, I'll be okay. No, I promise to kind of go faster than I normally do because I have more scripture. I think I keep setting records. I keep beating my own record. I'm setting PRs, personal records. Um, also, Brian and Cambry, this is a pretty cool shirt. I told him XL, but then I ate Chinese food last night. So I really should have asked for a 2XL. Things are getting a little out of control, so I'm sorry. I'll try to stand behind the music stand as much as possible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse, um, I'm going to start at verse 36. I might have told Elena 26, because that's what I have written down in my notes, but that was a lie, so I apologize. You know, um, I want to title my sermon, I guess, to you guys today, uh, What You Need. Everybody say, What I Need. Everybody say, what I need, like music ha already happened. Yeah, because it happened for me, so I need, we need to be on the same w wavelength. We practiced already. So what I need, what you need, what we need. Um, Thursday night at Catalyst, we were talking about how God's love works, like the love, the love of God. Because basically the series that we're going through right now is all about, like, the things that I wish I knew when I was a brand new Christian. Because it's because people, it's like, hooray, you're saved. You're a Christian now. Okay, now now what do I do? Like, what next? What happens next? You just were like, I'm going to try really hard and be like the best Christian ever. That's what we think. But what does it mean to be a Christian? God loves you. You're his child. Oh, what does that mean? And we were talking about God's love, which got us onto the subject of um. I started talking about human love or, or sometimes what we think is love and it's really not. And I talked about when I was a teenager. Now, raise your hand if you're familiar with the word simp. Does anybody know what that means? 
okay? Basically, simp is like a dude who will do anything to make a girl happy, like to the point where it's ridiculous. So as a teenager, I know this is confession. This is, I probably should have, this, I don't know, confessional, okay? You guys are on the other side of the box today. I did that a lot when I was a teenager. Like every girl I met was like the one. She's the one. She's perfect. I'm going to learn everything about her. I'm going to like the type of music she likes. I'm going to like the type of food she likes. I'm going to pick up the hobbies that she has. That was me. I would, I would pick it up because I was so desperate for love. And we all are. True story. I once met a girl when I was in high school that listened to Viking metal. I became interested in that. Like, not really on purpose, but like I pretended. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just, you guys are looking at me the way that I, there's a strong judgment today in church. Take it down a notch. But that just, I mean, we've all been there in some respect or another where we've gone too far searching for something that only God can give us, right? And I just remember being so desperate. And they laughed at me like you guys did after we kind of got over the really awkward silence hump there for a moment. But it's, we do that. We search so desperately for something that only God can give. And only God can give us what we need. Everybody say, what I need what I need. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 26. And I'm going to kind of blow through a couple sections of the chapter or the book of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was going to be eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Okay, everybody, mentally practice your nasally voice. Everybody in a real nasally voice say, she's a sinner. She's a sinner. And Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Now, I want to tell you something, and normally I don't really dive this deep, but you know what the, you know what the, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee. Do you know what the name Simon means? It means God has heard. God has heard. Can I tell you something? God hears your thoughts. He hears your thoughts. He answers them. God can hear your thoughts. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. She's a sinner. If only he was a real prophet, he would know. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, God hears. He said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose, the, he kind of sees where this is going, right? I hate it, like, back to my teenage, teenage days. It's like, you really hate it. 
Like I do this to my kids all the time and I love it. I just love, it's, it's so satisfying to ask them a question that's the exact same as the one that they're bothering me about, only to have them arrive at the same conclusion that they need to arrive at. You know what I mean? It's so, it just feels good. It's good to be a dad sometimes. I suppose the one who he canceled the larger debt for, like probably the, that one probably loves him more because he was forgiven more. That's right, Jesus said, and then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman but talking to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Everybody say the only one. He's the only man that can do that. Now, this woman comes... I underlined, and you can underline it in your neighbor's Bible, if they have a paper Bible, grab their phone and highlight it if they're using a phone, a cellular mobile device as their Bible. I underlined the word here. She heard. She just heard that he was coming. Like it was just enough that she was like, I got to go find him. If he's here, I need to find him. I want to do this for him because I know that I need to be forgiven much. The woman seeks forgiveness, Right? That's what she's there for. She's an immoral woman. She knows that. She doesn't, it's not a surprise to her that that's her reputation. The Pharisee has the opposite problem. He doesn't know it. But he has a very good reputation. He's a Pharisee. He's really good at following rules. He knows them all. He's got them memorized, actually. So the Pharisee comes seeking validation. That's why Jesus is, that's why he invited Jesus to dinner at his house. I, it makes sense that you're here with me, Jesus, because I'm really good at following the rules. I know them all by heart. I could see why you would attend a home of someone like myself. That makes sense to me. And then this woman comes in, presumably because people follow Jesus everywhere. They've thronged him. They crowded around him. They wanted to be near him. He was magnetic. The Pharisee is seeking validation via the rules, via the things that he knows, the way that he acts, how good he is at everything. Does that make sense? That's what he's looking for. He's expecting Jesus to be like, good job. You're the best Pharisee I've met yet. A plus, gold star. The woman comes in seeking forgiveness via sacrifice. She's not worried about her reputation. She knows that she's not good at following the rules. She knows that she's made mistakes. And we're just like that. We're like both people. Raise your hand if you feel really holy when you're doing good. You're like, man, I'm awesome. I am so good at this Christian thing. Like, I've got this on lock. 
check. Gold star, I'll just put it on my shirt myself. That's how good I am. You know what I mean? We do that. We're like, I'm do- I, man, I'm on, I'm on fire. I'm doing great. And you kind of almost leave God in the dust. And he's like, hey, I'm back here. But you just keep forging ahead. I'll, just, I'll be right here where the plan is when you're done proving to everybody how spiritual you are. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not telling you don't do a good job and don't try hard. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's the attitude. Do you come to Jesus seeking validation? I want you to tell me how good I am. Or do you come to him because you know you're not good enough? Because none of us are. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, every single one of us. None of us can make the mark. And Jesus is telling Simon, Simon, I hear what you're thinking. Like, I get it. I know that you want me to give you a stamp of approval that you expect. Like, it makes sense that I'm here. I'm not here to tell you good job. I'm here to tell her you're good. You're forgiven. And that should be a lesson to Simon, just like it should be a lesson to us, because sometimes we're the woman. Raise your hand if you're really good at talking to God when you've made big mistakes or things are not going right. Right? When's the last time you left God in the dust when that happened? No, no. We, we turn around real quick and run the right direction. Whoops. Sorry, God. Bail me out. Help, 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 help. Please, pretty please. I'm not good enough. I screwed this one up. I need you to bail me out. I need you to forgive me. The Pharisee feels equal to Jesus. And I'm not saying that you feel that way, but sometimes we can sort of get that attitude. Does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? The woman knows that she's not. She has an attitude of humility. She has a posture of humility. She's kneeling down and crying and wiping dirty, dirty feet with her hair and her tears. And Jesus pretty much says she's justified, like she's good. She's the one who's good here. Pharisee feels equal, and the woman knows she's not. Do you know something I say a ton? Not as much as I used to, because I feel like I've drilled it into everybody's heads and catalysts, is that people love rules. We like to make extra rules. We just do. That's how we are. That's who we are. The first thing you do when you make a club is you establish rules. These are the rules to be in the club. I am so thankful to be in a church that's not like that. We don't add extra rules. You don't have to attend X amount of times before you're a member. What do we say? You're a guest today. Next time, you're not. You're family now. In. You're in. You're good. People love rules because rules allow us to pat ourselves on the back. Good job, Paul. You did great this week. You haven't sinned in a while. Right? We do that. Good job. You're doing so great. People love rules because they can build up our ego. We can, we can, we can feel that we're, we're doing better. Like, I'm stronger. I'm more. I'm this. I'm that. John said he must become more and more, and I must become less and less. It's not about us getting better. 
Does that make sense? Like, it's not, I'm not telling you I don't want you to get over things that are hanging you up right now, but I'm telling you that it's not you doing it. If you try to do it, you will fail. If I try to do it, I will fail. I'm going to beat this habit. I'm going to beat this signature sin that hangs me up all the time, that has its claws in me. I'm going to muscle it out, and, and I'm going to beat this sin up myself. I can do this because I am a Christian. I love this story about the little girl who's the last one in Sunday school after the teacher asked everybody, what do you do if Satan knocks at your door? And she's like, I'm going to let Jesus answer. Everybody's got their little plan, and then she's like, um, I'm going to tell Jesus to answer the door. That's the attitude. That's the attitude that we need to have. It's not me. It's not me. It's him. And Jesus told the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. See, we're doing good. I told you we'd do good. Luke 19. Hopefully I can string all of this together for us. Luke 19, verse 1. How many of you know the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man? And a wee little man was he. I'm never going to be, I'm just, I can't say Zacchaeus. I just can't do it. I know it's correct, but I can't, Zacchaeus. And he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. This is, continues with the theme. Because Jesus does everything that he does for a reason. Jesus is the God of the universe that knows everything for all time, forwards, backwards, knows every person. Knows the, the Bible says that he knows the amount of hairs on your head. Like there's nothing that he misses. He's not like, oops, I forgot about Paul and Cato today. Better intervene. Looks like things are getting ugly down there. He misloaded the dishwasher again. It's not efficient at all. Holy Spirit, move on him. Reorganize. I'm glad some of you guys are in the same predicament that I'm in. I'm not capable. I said to somebody this morning, uh, we don't do well what we don't want to do again. So that might be, I don't know, it's probably my flesh, I guess. It's loading the dishwasher, but Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Everybody say chief tax collector. So he's like the boss of all the bad guys that take money from people. Does that make sense? I mean, that's like the simplest way I can do it. There's a bunch of guys who are tax collectors, and the way that they make their money is by taking extra more than the already heavy demands of the Roman government. And his job is to take a cut from all of those guys, basically, right? So that's who Zacchaeus is. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at, the, at Jesus, but he was too short because he was a wee little man to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. You know, I didn't study this, but it's not often that you hear God say to do something quickly. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another verse where he says, do something fast. You know what I mean? Like directly to a person, to the Israel at large maybe, but like do this in a hurry. Quick, 
Everybody say quick. Come down. I must be a guest in your home today. You know, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, washed his feet and anointed his head. She came to Jesus with a certain attitude, right? Hers was of humility. I know that I'm broken and I'm not a good person and I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm a mess. And, 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 and. That's why she's kneeling there doing what she's doing. Zacchaeus comes with a different, a different attitude. His is, I've just got to see him. I've just got to see him. I just want to know what he looks like. I've got to see him. And you have to remember who this guy is. Because we can be like, oh, Zacchaeus, he's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Like, I remember Zacchaeus. He's from that fun kid song. That's how I remember him. He's a bad dude. Really? I mean, you gotta, you got you to gotta think your way through it. He's, he's the guy that's responsible for taxing, for, for leading the people that are taxing people out of, into poverty, like out of their homes. Everybody hates this guy, everyone. And everybody knows who he is because he's not just some tax collector. He's, he's the big cheese. He is the guy that everybody's like, I hate that guy. That's what everybody says. That guy got my grandma kicked out of her apartment. My sister and brother-in-law didn't eat last night because they've been taxed so heavily that they can't afford food. Like, that's what people, everybody else knows who Zacchaeus is. Man, he's wealthy. Must be nice. Playing with my money. Playing with my mom's money, my friend's money, my kid's money, my grandkid's money. Must be rough. Everybody's mad at him. Everybody hates him. So he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I need to be a guest at your house today. I've got to be with you. Again, unlike me, do you know what the name Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus means? It means pure. It's like saying black snow. Like he's Zacchaeus, the tax collector. His name means pure, but he's as evil as they come, especially to everybody else. I don't know his whole life story and how he arrived where he did, but Zacchaeus' name means pure. Quickly come down. I must be a guest in your house today. This is probably the first time anybody, anybody besides one of his gang of tax collectors has offered to have much of a social interaction with him at all. Because everyone hates him. He was unclean. He couldn't even go to church. He wasn't allowed. I was like, oh, sorry, nope. God doesn't want you and neither do we. That's the attitude of the people. You have to remember that. So Jesus goes to his house. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Zacchaeus means pure. 
Everybody sees Zacchaeus a certain way. Everybody sees Zacchaeus for what he's done, the life he's lived up to this point. You know, I'm in this, many of you are, are older than me. Some of you are the same age as me. We, all, we go through these periods of life that are full of loss. We've all been through those seasons. And right now I'm going through a five or ten year span in my life where I'm losing people that are very important to me. You know, my father in the faith, which would be my grandfather, just because it's the way it worked out. Because that's how it is, right? You can't listen to your parents, but you can listen to your grandparents. That's dumb. Okay, Grandpa, right? Like, I lost him, and I lost my grandma, and, and these, these spiritual, for lack of a better term, giants, these public figures that I really looked up to and enjoyed. What they were, it's like one by one they're falling due to moral failure. It's just like loss, 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 loss. Either it's loss of respect or loss of life, but just a period of loss. Are you with me? Are you following me? And um, recently at work, I have somebody who um, mentored me in my current role, which is one that requires credentials, right? So there's a lot of investment. My time, other people's time, like coaching me, getting me, you know, you have to be in the field for 10,000 hours, which is five years of 40-hour weeks before you're even eligible to start the process, to take the test. Like, it's a mess. It's too hard to explain. But this guy, his name is Chris, that I really looked up to, decided to retire early, like a couple weeks ago. And it's like, you know, before that, and this is weird to say, and I've never even told Katie this, but the, the way that, and she knows, logically, because she's smart and she knows more about feelings than I do, because I'm a, I'm a guy. Um, you know how it is. All the married ladies say amen. But I was, through work before, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with the person who was in the same role that this person was in. Like, very demeaning. And it's weird for me to tell you that because I have a pretty strong personality. Like, I don't take a lot of issue stuff from anybody. Like, that's just not how I am. But I took way more than I should have for way longer than I should have. You know, like the type of stuff that can get somebody fired through HR. You know what I mean? Like, just demeaning, not good. And, um, I mean, good points too, right? But I'm, like, a really good forgiver, so whatever. It is what it is. But this guy, Chris, as soon as I, and before I did pass my test and get the credentials that I have, which don't matter. Um, I mean, they do, but they don't for the story. He, I remember him, he's retiring, so one of the ways that I do well at communicating to people is through writing. So I, I wrote this long, extremely long email to my boss. Because I think it means more when somebody sends something to someone else that then can pass it on to you, like someone that's above them. Does that make sense? 
So I wrote this long, like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, right? Like a two hours of writing email, just about how much he meant to me and how much he invested in me. And one of the things that I remember the most about him was just how much he believed in me. Because I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not smart enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 can, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, I know how to talk to people, but I'm not, I, there's no way I can remember everything. There's too much to know. Everybody's going to, I'm going to fail, and everybody's going to find out that I wasn't capable of hacking it. And I remember him saying, no, you, you can do this. You've got this. See, I remember him saying lots of times, I'd say something and say, see, you've got it. You can do this. You're going to be great. You're going to be so good at this. Your heart is in the right place, and that's what matters. He was a great mentor to me, and it's, it's hard to lose him, but I'll never forget that. That'll stick with me forever. And a lot of us have mentors like that in our life who have come alongside us or sponsors or whatever, where they've come alongside us and said, you can do this. Right? We have the benefit added help of the Holy Spirit and God, right? Which is even better. With God's help, you can do this. Don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the woman. Depend on him. He will do it. You're going to get there. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall, but it's going to be okay. And I remember him just pouring into me and pouring into me and pouring into me. And I'd call him all the time and ask him obnoxious questions, just like I ask Randy now. Sorry, Randy. And that's what's happening here with Zacchaeus. Everyone hates him. Everyone. Everybody thinks that he's the scum of the earth. The people were displeased, saying, he's gone to be the guest in a home of a notorious sinner. Shouldn't he be with the Pharisee that he was at? Shouldn't he be with Simon, chilling out, talking about Bible stuff? You know, like reading out of Isaiah or Exodus or something. He's going to be with that guy? Jesus sees something in him that nobody else sees. No one. Not even his own mom. He would have been disowned by his family for being a tax collector. That's happened to some of us with the choices that we've made. Jesus sees something in him and says, quickly, get out of that tree. I know you're climbing up and putting in a lot of effort to get to me. You've got to come down out of that tree, and I just want to be with you. Jesus sees Zacchaeus for what his name means, which is pure. He doesn't see him for the sins that he's had, all the mess-ups that he's had, all the wrong things he's done, all the people he's pushed out of their homes due to overtaxation. He sees him as pure. He sees you as pure, as the name that he's given you, not the things that you've done. Come down from trying hard. Come down from climbing, climbing the tree. You're climbing the tree. You're going to become more Christian by doing this program or that program or the next thing. No, no, no. Come down. Come down here. i got to be a guest at your home today. I've got to be with you. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. 
but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And sometimes we get lost even to ourselves. Like we forget who we are. It's so easy to get caught up in the rules and I didn't make it again, God. I'm not meeting the mark. I can't do this. And Jesus is saying to you today, climb out of the tree. Get down. I just want to be with you. That's what's going to change your heart. That's what's going to give you a genesis. That's what's going to make you a brand new person is coming into contact with him, not following another program, not starting a daily Bible reading thing. You've got to get to Jesus. And he's right there. He wants to come to your house. That's the best part. You don't even have to chase him down. He's chasing you. You think Jesus didn't know that Zacchaeus was going to be in the sycamore fig tree just like chilling and eating some figs? Get down. We're going to your house. Your plan is not the plan. Effort's not going to get us there. Effort's not going to change your heart, Zacchaeus. Effort's gotten you to where you are right now. Trying hard, doing better, making more money. Now you're robbing people out of their livelihoods and homes. I'm the one. Jesus is the one that's going to, I'm going to change you, who you are, the fabric of who you are. You're a brand new person now. As evident, and that's what changed him. Coming into contact with Jesus was all he needed. It wasn't a program. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's the steps. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to start Financial Peace University, Mr. Because what you're doing here is not right. This isn't working for me. This is not the way we handle God's money. And then you're going to go say sorry to everybody. And then you're going to do this and this and this and this. He doesn't give him a list of steps. Jesus comes close to him, and it changes everything about who Zacchaeus is. It's, he does the same thing for us. Don't shout at me, Paul. Don't tell me what to do because I'm really excited today because Jesus is awesome. Clap your hands. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. I'm sorry for shouting at you before music starts. I'm sorry for telling you not to tell me what to do. God is so good. Luke 23. I told you, we're just, I mean, I'm skipping some parts, but we're going through all of Luke. This is the very condensed study version. Luke 23, starting at verse 13. You know, I have a couple, and we all, I think, have this. I have a couple scriptures that I gravitate towards. And you do, you, you do too. We all do, because you're like, I relate with that person. Right there. That's my story, but it's just written down with somebody else, you know, somebody else's name. This is the section of scripture in Luke that describes that this is, I mean, this would be the story of Barabbas, I guess. This is the account of Barabbas and Jesus. 
starting at verse 13. That's where I gave you, Elena, right? Okay, good. All right. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and the other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. This is when Pilate has Jesus on trial, right? This is, this is the point in the gospel narrative where Jesus is going to be sentenced or not. Does that make sense? Everything has led up to this. Along with the other people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me accusing him of leading a revolt. Remember that. Everybody say, I'll remember. Okay, I'm taking your word for it. Accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and found him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man calls, nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged. Like, I'm going to make you guys happy. We're going to kind of meet in the middle. I'm just going to have him whipped, like, with an inch of his life. And then, and then we'll have him released. Then a mighty roar arose from the crowd. With one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Do you remember what I told you to remember? What did Barabbas do? We just read that. Sorry, switcheroo. My fault, not yours. What, did, what is Jesus accused of? Leading a revolt. Leading a rebellion. What did Barabbas do that put him in prison? He led a rebellion. He's an insurrectionist against the government and for murder. Right? So not just exactly the same thing that Jesus is there for. Like we're both in the pen for the same thing, except one's innocent, one's not. Barabbas is there for the, because he did exactly what they're accusing Jesus of. It's not similar. It's not like he's just a bad dude. It's like the exact thing. You guys say that Jesus is leading a rebellion. I don't think he is. And they're like, give us the guy that we all know. Let a rebellion instead. And that's confusing to us. Like, why would they say that? Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. Like, hey, man, I'm meeting you guys in the middle. I'm beating this guy that's done literally nothing wrong, and I'm going to let him go. And they're like, no. We don't want him. We want Barabbas. So I'll have him flogged, and then I will release him. Verse 23, but the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sent in Jesus to die as they demanded, as they had requested. He released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. You know, apparently this week I had a thing with names. You know what Barabbas means? Son of the Father. That's what the name Barabbas means, son of the father. Who is Jesus? Right? That's how he revealed himself. He's like, hey, he's the father. I'm the son. That's the way he revealed himself to us. And I'm not going to get into a biblical discussion on oneness versus not oneness for the purpose of this. I want you to know, just like with the other two things that we've read today, that Jesus is filling the gap just like he did in those other ones. Zacchaeus, he saw as pure when he was not. 
when nobody else could see it. Peter, he heard his thoughts. He filled that gap. He explained what he couldn't understand. And Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, the leader of the rebellion, Jesus being the Son of God, being God himself, right, fills that gap that Barabbas, they let him go. And it can disappoint us. We get kind of mad at them, like, you bunch of idiots. What are you thinking? But there's a reason that this had to take place. God treated Jesus like Barabbas because he needed to treat Barabbas like Jesus. Like the son of the father. Because like in the other two, when I'm the Zacchaeus, because I'm trying so hard to meet the mark, trying so hard to put an effort to get to God, and he's like, don't cut it out. I'm right here. And when I'm the Pharisee, trying to get there by following rules or trying to get there by, by improving myself somehow, by being good enough, sometimes... I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. Because we are the sons and the daughters of the Father. And he treats Jesus like us. So that he can treat us like Jesus. Because Jesus died in place of Barabbas. Right? They accuse Jesus of doing exactly the thing that Barabbas did. Yes? The exact thing. Not like, eh, it's pretty close. Like, I could see how they would draw. They were like, no, he led a rebellion. He led a rebellion and murdered people. And they're like, we want the guy who murdered and led a rebellion. We don't want Jesus. And that's what Jesus does for us, too. Because he died in place of Barabbas. He died as Barabbas. Just like he died in your place and my place. Because he died as us. Because when Jesus was hung on a tree, my sin, Paul Weisbrod's sin, hung there with him. It was nailed to that cross and it's gone forever. And so is yours. Quit kicking yourself. Quit circling back around. He sees you as pure. He hears what you're thinking. And he sees you as a son or daughter of God. You're his kid. He died on the cross for you. Quit circling back around. He died so that you wouldn't have to do that anymore. You wouldn't have to feel that way anymore. He took that sin, that exact one, the really deep, dark, black one that you're thinking of right now, that one's too big. It's not. That was nailed to the cross with him. It's gone. The Bible says that it's as far from us. He removes our sin from us as far as east is from west, a.k.a. infinity. 
It's not that he doesn't know that it happened. It's just wiped off your record. He forgets about it. It's okay. You're okay. You and God are okay. You're better than okay. You're his. Who I am going to get done just in time. Everybody say amen. Barabbas did exactly what Jesus was killed for. Jesus was executed as Barabbas, as you, as me, for us. Okay, we're just going to go over a couple paragraphs to Luke 23, 32. This is further on in the crucifixion account. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, on one on his right and one on his left. One time I was up here. It wasn't that long ago, actually. It was like, I don't know, four, five, six times ago. So like 12 weeks or something. I don't know. It was a while ago. But I went through all four Gospels about how Jesus was crucified in the middle of two thieves. And then I forgot to make my point. Are you kidding me? I forgot to be like, hey, guess what? This is, I want to make it today. He's in the middle. I get excited. I forget to say things. He's in the middle. Jesus is in the middle. In between two guys who deserve it, he's the one in the middle that does it. He's in the middle of your life. He's in the middle of your mess. Even though he doesn't deserve it, that's where he chose. You have to remember that he chose to go through this. All of it. A couple weeks ago in Catalyst, we postulated, I'm doing my first ever series up there, we talked about sin. And one of the questions I asked was, do you think God knew that Adam and Eve were going to screw everything up? I mean, it's kind of like nobody wants to like, commit, right? It's like, eventually we get there. Yes. Of course he did. He's God. He knows everything. If he doesn't know everything, he's not God. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to screw everything up and all of the rest of us, all the mistakes we made, and he, would, he still thought it was worth it. He still thought that, that I'm worth it, that you're worth it. He's like, nope, I want to have a relationship with you, and it's worth it to me. I'll take all the sin of everyone who's ever lived and nail it all to the cross and give you the option of picking up forgiveness should you want it. It's worth it to me. He's in the middle. And then we're going to jump down. This is an account of the two criminals talking. One of the criminals, verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. Huh. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And hey, while you're doing it, us too. While you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, back up in verse 34, I don't even know if I read this one. I don't think I did. While they're nailing him to the cross, when they're raising him up, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We can start, 
this is, I would say that, that Christians who have been Christians, right, people who've been following Christ longer, not shorter, are more at risk for thinking this way than, than anyone else. We start to think that he's less forgiving than he is. Now, I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm not encouraging you to do whatever you want. That's not, I'm not here to, to tell you that. I'm here to tell you that while Jesus, this is, just, and I, this is the account. I'm not even going to say anything about it. While Jesus was being nailed to the cross, bearing your sins and mine, he said of the men who were nailing him to the cross and raising him up, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in the moment of greatest pain, his first thought wasn't judgment. That's not what I would have said. He's being nailed to the cross and carrying the weight of sin for all time. And he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, God. Father, forgive them. We'll jump back down. The criminals are arguing. One says, hey, man, if you're really this Jesus guy that everybody claims you are, would you please just bail us all out? see you're nailed to the cross just like me. And the other one says, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, again, doesn't come with rules. He doesn't come with, he doesn't come with a list of stipulations. I'm going to need you to clean your life up. Hey, I need you to say X, Y, and Z before you die or it's not going to count. He doesn't give him a list of things that he needs to meet. He comes back with assurance. not penance, not, not I need you to pay for what you've done and figure it all out and get together with the program and then we can do this. He comes back with assurance. He says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be there. We'll be there. That was my kid. Don't worry about it, guys. Assurance. He says, I've got you. I've got you. One of the favorite, one of my favorite quotes that your pastor has ever set up here is you just need, it's not about a program. It's not about steps. It's not about, it's not about getting you to do the right things. It's about getting your hand into the hand of Jesus. Because if you're worried about getting to heaven, Jesus is going to heaven. Just grab a hold of him and he will take you there. That's how complicated it is. You can see Jesus makes it very simple. The guy's like, remember me. Like, I know who you are. And I believe it. And he's like, you'll be with me. I'm almost done. That's exactly two minutes. Uh-oh, 46 seconds. Romans 5, verse 8. This is for my people who are like me. My biggest struggle is thinking that I'm not good enough. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
There is no clean up and come to God program. The program is come to God and he'll clean you up. At his rate, at his pace. He will get you there in his steps, in his time. And since we have been made right, verse 9, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God doesn't condemn you once you put your hand into the hand of Christ. You're not condemned. He can convict you. He can be like, hmm, I'd really rather that we didn't do that anymore. And we need to listen to that. But he doesn't condemn you anymore. And my very last verse, which I've done way too many today. Everybody say, that's okay. Thank you for the emotional support. I appreciate that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, and I actually had her do this in a different version. God made him who had no sin. If I had a life verse, I might make this one it. I don't know. I'll probably change my mind. I like too many. God, had, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And one of the main focuses on what we're talking about on Thursday nights right now is identity. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Who are you now? That's what it means. It means not only, like in Romans, he does he forgive you. Like, even before you had your act together, he forgave you before that, on purpose. He also credits you all the righteousness of God. He gives you his righteousness. Let's stand. Everybody say, what I need. What I need is not a program. It's not, it's, it's not a class. It's not, it's not something you can attend. It's not somewhere to go. It's not. What I need is Jesus. What you need is Jesus. If you want to change, if you want a genesis, if you want a new beginning, if you want to live life differently than you've ever lived it before, what you need, who you need is Jesus. It's not another boyfriend. It's not another girlfriend. It's not another marriage. It's not another kid. It's not another job. It's not a new car. What we need is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day.